Welcome to the Global Medical Device Podcast, where today's brightest minds in the medical device industry go to get their most useful and actionable insider knowledge, direct from some of the world's leading medical device experts and companies. You know, I'm actually encouraged by this episode of the Global Medical Device Podcast because it's about the EUMDR. And I would say prior to uh, having this conversation with Rebecca Sheridan, I had a little doom and gloom and fear and concern about the EU med device market. But the good news is Rebecca is one of these folks that she's in the know. She has her finger on the pulse and she shares some some positive insights and, and updates from her view of the world with respect to EU MDR, IVDR. Hello, and welcome to the Global Medical Device Podcast. This is your host, founder, and VP of Quality and Regulatory at Greenlight Guru, John Spear. Folks, have you heard uh, the regulations, medical device regulations in the EU uh, have changed? It's confusing right now. I think people are, are looking for all sorts of answers and clarity. Hopefully, or maybe, optimistically, anyway, maybe we'll get a few of those today uh, with my conversation with Rebecca Sheridan. Rebecca is the Senior Director for Quality Assurance, Regulatory Affairs, and Clinical Affairs for the Advanced Wound Franchise of Convitec Limited. Rebecca, welcome. Thank you, John. A pleasure to be here. So I, I put you, uh, I put the pressure on you. You're going to give us some answers today. I hope that's okay. <laughs> I'll do my very best. There is some ambiguity, but there is definitely things that we can be doing to help ourselves. So um, let's hope we can tease some of those out today. Okay, it sounds good. And folks, uh, just to give you a little bit of background, I've known Rebecca for a bit, um, at least for a few years. Uh, she used to be with one of our customers years ago. And um, even before that, uh, we, we learned that um, we were doing some some work at the same time for one of the big orthopedic companies many years ago. She was in uh, the EU and I was in the U.S., but but uh, I think we, we might have been approving the same documents <laughs> during that, yeah. uh, that up-class <laughs> effort. That, that was a good time, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Again, another great time when... Uh, an opportunity to, to learn about the regulations which have driven us to where we are today with the MDR. Absolutely. And, and the, the other things you should know about Rebecca, she also uh, has uh, quite a bit of experience as a regulator. She used to be with MHRA. So, you know, to kind of sum up, uh, it's not doing it justice for sure, but to kind of sum up who we're talking to today on the Global Medical Device Podcast, Rebecca as a former regulator, she's worked for very large companies. She's worked for startups. So she has a pretty good perspective and her finger is definitely on the pulse of what's going on in the EU MDR and, and the UK and all uh, that noise that we're dealing with today. So I guess, Rebecca, just to kind of get things started a little bit, you know, we're about two years into the transition period. You know, what's happening? What's going on? I mean, how, how is this evolving? Um, just your view of the world with respect to EU MDR, what's going on? So I joined the medical device industry in the tr transition period of the directives as we know them today. And the transition period really we had for each directive was five years each, of which there was a two-year period for the, um, the member states and the notified bodies to get their stuff together, and then a three-year transition for industry. For the MDR, there's an incredibly optimistic approach of a three-year transition period for all of us. 
Um, now, of course, the types of medical devices that we have on the market today compared to 25 years ago are significantly more complex in many areas. There's connected devices which we didn't have before. The level of implantable devices that we have previously, um, we, we didn't have those. Uh, deep brain stimulation was something we weren't even considering um, back in the early mid-90s. So there's a lot more um, substance to the types of devices that are being placed on the market today. And to try and do those in such a short period of time um, with very little guidance is, is, is a really big challenge, obviously for our industry, for notified bodies, but also for member states. And the infrastructure that we need to be able to navigate through the regulations is still being put in place. So we are in a, an environment where there's a, a lot of stress within every single part of the infrastructure, not just industry. And I think the next year, the level of collaboration that we all need to have to work together to get us to where we need to be is going to have to be the very best that we can all make it. So we're, we're at a, a crisis point, I think, in being able to achieve what we need to do as an industry to support our patients and our healthcare institutions continue to support um, you know, public health. So it is a crisis situation. I mean, and something's going to have to give. I know there are some some folks that that are. I've heard that they think that that there will actually be an extension that's going to be provided, or, or or something is going to change. But but at the same time, that doesn't seem very pragmatic, considering all that has to go into, or all that went into, uh, all the member states and and all the the resources that went into actually defining the EUMDR to. to develop some sort of extension from a time frame standpoint, that just doesn't seem very pragmatic considering all the, the you know, government bodies and other entities that are involved. What do you think about that? Could, I mean, an extension, it would be nice. It, that would be really nice. However, the, to actually, um, to get an extension approved is a very significant legal process. And the ability of the European Parliament and the Commission to execute on that is very challenging and very time consuming. So, um, and I'm not sure it would gain us anything as an overall industry and in that industry, I'm including our competent authorities and uh, notified bodies and, and member states because they would be distracted having to put that through and to try and make that extension and not focusing on actually what we need to execute to the MDR to get all the common specifications and all that, it, the infrastructure, a new demand in place. So it would dilute the resources available to help us out and get what we need. And then the extension, we would be no closer to achieving an extent, you know, the, the deadline of an extension. Yeah, it's a really good way of looking at it. So, folks, I mean, there's there's other challenges that would uh, make an extension not very uh, useful, frankly. The I think the other thing, uh, you know, you say we're we're approaching um, crisis mode, or maybe we're in crisis mode. I think part of what's what's driving that right now is there's not a lot of notified bodies that uh, that are available, right? 
That's absolutely right. And um, there's, um, we have BSI UK and they are designated as a notified body under the MDR. And of course, we've had the situation where it's been confounded by Brexit and the work that the UK notified bodies have had to do in order to be prepared for Brexit, which of course hasn't yet happened, has been very disruptive to our industry and also dilute, has diluted the resources available to support the transition to the MDR. Now, um, Combatech is a client of BSI, and we were notified yesterday that um, as of the 3rd of June, they will be accepting um, su the, the submissions for uh, to transition to the MDR um, through BSI UK. So, well, that's hot news. I, it, it's something that you know um, I was hoping might come out of the situation with the delay to Brexit because we do need to get moving. And so I see that our notified bodies, when they are able are being pragmatic and trying to help open up the gates for us to start to engage with the MDR. And the other news we hear is that a second notified body will be designated next week. Well, they have been designated, but it hasn't yet been published on Nando. All right, so we'll have so, a 100% increase in the number of notified bodies in about a week. Absolutely. <laughs> Going from one to two. All right, but you know, but two notified bodies isn't going to cut it, right? So, I mean, do you have any uh, insights? Into, and I know a lot of other notified bodies are going through this the process uh, to, to get the formal accreditation permissions, whatever the right label is. But do you have any insights on uh, how many others are, are going through that process right now and, and any insights as to when we might expect others to go through that? I know that this is a, a crystal ball sort of uh, question for you. There's um, the absolute details. I, I I do keep an eye on um, Nando and, and look at the at how many um, audits have been done by the member states and the the commission. But so the feedback that I've heard this week is that the capacity will have increased significantly by the end of this year. So we may have more up to maybe more than 20 notified bodies designated by the end of the year. Now, the, the two of the top five notified bodies, the, the two primary notified bodies will be designated within a very short period of time. And so that capacity is, is for their existing clients will be there. However, the, the one thing that isn't clear to me is the capacity really needed under the MDR and the IVDR for those devices which have not been uh, classified as class 2A, 2B and 3 previously. So software as a standalone medical device has been class 1. But now under the MDR, depending upon the, the consequence of the patient of, of, of using that or the, the healthcare professional in decision-making, they could be up to class three. And so we don't really know just how many new companies are going to be to have to go through the notified bodies. The capacity for IVDRs has needs to significantly increase. 
Of course, we've got um, devices without medical intent. So there's many more devices that are going to go through the notified body capacity that we're we're still not fully aware of. So let's yeah, let's explore. Well, uh, I'd like to explore that a little bit because I think this is something that uh, is a, probably one of the more significant changes, at least from my lens of the EU MDR and IVDR. Uh, the software was a really good example. A lot of software products in the old construct uh, may have been class one uh, type of products. Uh, and, and now that's that might be shifting for a lot of software as a med device products. And then the other, the IVDR, there were, if I'm understanding this correctly, there were a lot of things uh, that are now in scope of the new EU IVDR, uh, things like RUO, LDTs, things of that nature that, that previously were unregulated. So uh, yeah. do you have any uh, concept or, or idea of the, the magnitude? I mean, it, it, I, I got to imagine it's still probably pretty unknown. So um, certainly, it, IVD is not an area which I've had a significant amount of experience in the past. Um, what's really exciting for me at Convitec is this is a space we're getting into, and so I can I can speak from my perspective of, of what in our in our development program is that the the product in development under MDD would be self certification, but under the IVDR is now uh, a class B. So it's now regulated through a notified body. So there are going to be many companies who fell into the self-certification who now have to start to engage with the notified body. And I think it's a change. So if we take 100 companies, uh, IVD companies, um, if it was 20 who had to engage with a notified body previously, it will now be 80. That's a pretty dramatic exactly. increase. Yeah. 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 And I know a few years ago, uh, there was similar conversations happening here in the U.S. Uh, in fact, I think it was uh, a guidance or a draft guidance or something of that nature. And this was prior to the current administration. But there was a hint that LDTs might become regulated as uh, med devices here in the United States as well. And then whenever um, uh, President Trump was elected, I think the, the FDA kind of backed off on that and said that that would be a decision of, uh, that the new administration would determine. And, you know, once that happened, uh, they, the U.S. backed off on LDTs being regulated. So, I mean, do you have any sense of what was the motivation or the, the driving force behind pulling LDTs under the IVDR? No, I, I, I wasn't involved in the development of the IVDR. I was involved in this early stage discussions with industry and the commission and through um, the trade associations on the content of MDR, but not the IVDR. All right. So as it stands today, and folks, the, the IVDR is, is, has a little bit longer period of time. I'm not s suggesting that you sit back and wait because, you know, especially for, for those of you who, you know, maybe you weren't previously regulated under uh, the IVD directives um, and, and now you're in scope of the IVD regulations. Now is the time to start to figure out who, what, when, where, and, and how this is going to impact you and, and your IVD products. Uh, so don't think that you have a lot of time available because that time is going very, very quickly. 
And my yeah. best advice to you is to engage with uh, notified bodies. You know, as Rebecca shared, BSI UK is 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 good to go. There's another that's coming here in the next week or so. And it sounds like here in the next few months, there will be quite a few others. But do start engaging uh, those conversations with notified bodies to figure out your plan and, and your path to get your uh, products to market. Folks, I want to remind you, I'm talking with Rebecca Sheridan. Rebecca is the Senior Director for Quality Assurance Regulatory Affairs and Clinical Affairs for the Advanced Wound Franchise of Convitec Limited. And I want to also take a moment to remind you, did you know that Greenlight Guru has a brand new podcast? That's right. Check out MedTech True Quality Stories. Wherever you're listening to this podcast, you should be able to find MedTech True Quality Stories. It's uh, just an exciting opportunity that I get to have uh, every so often to talk to folks who are leading medical device companies, CEOs and founders, and listening to some of the, the challenges that they're faced with and how they're overcoming those challenges with true quality approaches. So be sure to go check that out as well. Uh, all right, so Rebecca, um, what advice do you have for companies who are trying to figure out what to do with Europe? I mean, I, I've heard some extreme situations where some folks are saying that they're going to be exiting the European market, you know, especially for, for products that maybe they've had on, in the EU for a number of years that, you know, maybe they don't have uh, a robust, up-to-date, current technical file and CER and things of that nature. Uh, what, what pragmatic tips do you have for folks that, that are trying to figure out what to do about Europe? Okay, so the European system is still a fantastic system, even with the um, with the changes that are being made. And really, uh, this is going to sound very quite simplistic, but the really significant differences between the medical device directive and the medical device regulation, in in my head, um, can be really distilled down to two discrete areas. So one area is regarding the manufacturing controls, manufacturing information, your process FMEA, which generally didn't used to sit inside your technical file or your design dossier. That would be something that um, you would move forward with a design examination certificate for a class three and the same approach for your technical file. But now as part of the MDR, this needs to be part of that technical documentation that you see mark your device to. So that element is different. The other side of it is regarding clinical data. There's something called a summary of safety and clinical performance that we now need to make publicly available through NDR on Udemed. And for class 2A, 2B and class 3 devices, they need to be approved by the notified body before you first make them publicly available. And if you look at the last revision of the medical device directive, the requirement to do proactive post-market surveillance and keep your clinical evaluation updated um, in the post-market phase is, was captured under Annex 10, Section 1.1c. Now, under the MDR, that requirement is still there. Um, and we talk about post-market surveillance plans. So we need post-market surveillance plans. Where needed, you'll have to have post-market clinical follow-up plans as well or a justification why you don't need them. And then they go up and, and to be assessed in product safety update reports, class 2A, 2B, and 2.3. And the outputs of those 
tell you when you review clinical performance. So those are the elements that it's leading to that summary of safety and clinical performance, which is publicly available information on your devices through Udemed that say, this is, this is a safe medical device. This is what you as a consumer, as a healthcare professional, can understand about the safety profile of the device. So those are really the two significant differences as I see them um, from the MDD into the MDR. And you know, one of the biggest concerns that I hear from people is, well, you know, I've got a device that I I designed and developed maybe 10 or 15 years ago. And, you know, the technical documentation is commensurate with the time it was designed and developed. And, you know, and people, well, do I have to redo all the design work? No, no, no. Let's take a step back. Let's think about it sensibly. Because it was actually okay when it was designed and developed 10, 15, 20, 25 years ago. And you actually have a huge amount of design verification data in your manufacturing uh, batch records, et cetera, because you do in-process quality inspection and monitoring of the quality of your devices. And that's absolutely super design verification data that you can use and build into your rationale to, to say, actually, I do have a device that under today's requirements fulfills those um, design control um, the design control data that you would need to show you've got a safe and effective medical device. So there are ways around what we perceive if we read the regulation and take it as, as, as it's read, oh my goodness, my device or my devices don't fulfill these requirements. We need to take a step back and think about our products and think about, actually, we're placing products on the market today. They're not harming people. Um, and actually, it's also how novel the device is as well and how innovative the device. The, the purpose of the MDR is to make sure that public safety is being prioritized and unsafe medical devices are not being placed on the market. So you know, we need to be, I suppose, calm in our minds and not panic and say, what pragmatic solutions are there so that we can maintain our products on the market? The MDR is not to prevent people from coming into the EU market or to have um, existing products removed from the market if they are safe and effective. So engage early with a notified body, understand their perspective, talk to people in the network. One of the, particularly if you're an SME, there's, um, it can be very difficult to get access to good quality and reasonably priced advice and guidance. And your trade associations in the different countries across the EU are absolutely fantastic resources. And people think, oh, but a trade association must be very expensive to join. If I use the UK as an example, for SMEs, there's a very um, good uh, package. At, at, it used to be, I, mean, I don't know exactly, that, but let's say no more than two and a half thousand pounds a year flat rate for SMEs and startups where you can access a huge amount of experience to help you with the MDR, IVDR, and understanding what your options are and also can help connect you to some really um, 
uh, knowledgeable people about how to navigate this process. So reach out and network and look for those opportunities that that fit the size of your company because they are there and people are there and they want to help. So, Rebecca, do you have maybe uh, an example or two uh, of a trade association for folks that that might be looking where this might be helpful? And and folks, I did the conversion. Twenty five hundred British pounds is roughly thirty two hundred U.S. dollars. So um, it's very affordable, especially if it gives you some guidance, direction and, and a path. But do you have any trade associations that that are worth mentioning or or would you rather not? well, I mean, the, obviously, the Association of British Healthcare Industries in the UK is an excellent UK-based medical device companies. You have Associate Biomedica um, in Italy, who are a very active trade association. You have Sneedham in France. Um, you know, there are others which are available. You can actually on the commission website and through also MedTech Europe's website, you can find a list of all the different trade associations in the different member states as well. So the information is, is actually very easy to find. All right. Well, we'll find uh, folks will provide a couple of those links for you to do a little bit of homework and a little bit of research on that. So, Rebecca, this is really insightful. And, and I, I would have to admit before um, we started chatting today that that I was of the impression that Europe might be some doom and gloom, but you've, um, you've identified some silver linings that, uh, that this is achievable, it is doable. The other thing that I picked up from what you shared a few moments ago is for those folks that may be saying, oh, all these things in the EUMDR, especially like clinical evaluation reports and, and so on, that, and the post-market surveillance, that this is dramatically new and different, but that's really not accurate. These A lot of these things, were, uh, were the groundwork for these were laid prior to the EU MDR uh, being formalized mm-hmm. a couple of years ago. So just because you as a, a company maybe didn't keep things up to date doesn't mean that they those, those provisions weren't there. Um, I guess to kind of wrap things up, you, you know, do you see that uh, this transition to EU MDR and IVDR that that this will have a dramatic impact on, say, a company's quality management system or their their business infrastructure? I would say in the post-market phase, yes. There's a lot more reporting, a lot more um, summarizing of clinical data and interacting in the post-market phase with the, um, you know, with with Udemed. Um, the, The thing that is going to for class three devices, which is a significant difference and our mindset will have to change, is that when you are planning your pipeline and your submissions to your notified body, particularly if you're thinking about going through a fast track route, which some notified bodies offer, you would submit all your technical documentation, which includes your clinical evaluation report, a few days before the the planned review. Now there's a requirement that the clinical data is reviewed before to, to ensure it's, it's it's fulfilling the requirements of the MDR before they will agree for someone to come on site or to start that dedicated review or the review of that um, design dossier. So in talking with our notified body, it's about a three-month period. 
So you would submit your clinical evaluation report three months ahead of when you would plan to have your dedicated or your technical review of your of the rest of your, your the documentation. So that's a, a change to how we do our planning. Um, and in, in so you know, as I've been thinking about this, well, oh, does that mean we stop and then we pick it up again? But of course, with the fact that we're now going to have to include all that the, the PFMEAs and the, the manufacturing and process controls, that would normally take an additional three months. So actually, for what we need to submit to have a successful conformity assessment, that will not cause a delay. But that is something we will have to change. We will have to build into our infrastructure as we're thinking about class three devices, um, how that will affect um, our class 2B and class 2A devices once you have the family of devices, a group of devices on your MDR certificate and self-certification and how your technical file audits and your sampling plan, how it will affect that, we don't know yet. But I see a definite change to the infrastructure in the post-market from the reporting that needs to be done through PSURs and the Family Safety and Clinical Performance. All right. Well, is there a, a source that you can guide listeners to that, that maybe give them a little bit more insights into to, uh, the, those changes that they should be planning for and incorporating into their systems now? Is there, is there you know, a good source of truth that you would recommend? So the commission website has some really good information and tells you the program of work. through. So that's a, a good source of truth. QServe, who's a medical device consultancy based in the Netherlands, they um, have blogs that they're publishing and keeping up to date with uh, what is going on. So that's a place where I go to, to to find out, you know, to keep my pul- my finger on the pulse uh, of what's going on and, and also interact with um, groups on LinkedIn as well. So there's some good medical device forums on LinkedIn which people are sharing information as, as it's published. So those are, are, are good areas where you can go and, and they're free of charge as well. All right, terrific. Rebecca, this has been really insightful. Like I said a moment ago, I'm, I'm actually more encouraged about the EU and, and transition to the MDR and IVDR after we've chatted. So thank you for that. Folks, Rebecca Sheridan, she's a wealth of knowledge. If you ever have a chance to to chat with her or to connect with her, I would encourage you to do so. She's definitely one of those people that that always has her finger on the pulse of not only what's happening in the EU and in the UK with respect to medical device regulations, but she's paying attention to what's happening globally as well. So, so connect with her, uh, learn more about her experiences, and, and she, she can point you in a lot of different directions to help you stay on the right path when it comes to your medical devices. So, Rebecca, thank you so much for taking some time to chat with me today. Thank you. It's been an absolute pleasure as always, John. And folks, quality management system. Yep, that's what we do here at Greenlight Guru. We have the only eQMS software platform designed specifically for the medical device industry by actual medical device professionals. When it comes to things like ISO 1345, FDA, EU MDR, we've got you covered. So be sure to go check out what we're doing at www.greenlight.guru. 
and request more information and, and get on the phone and chat with some of our experts and, and our account executives to, to really share with you what it is that we're doing and how this is going to help you stay prepared with all of the tsunami of regulatory changes that will be constant in our industry for the foreseeable future. So, so be sure to check that out. As always, this is your host, founder, and VP of Quality and Regulatory at Greenlight Guru, John Spear, and you have been listening to the Global Medical Device Podcast.